Gosh, hit record. Um, I, I was I was overwhelmed last night with memories um, growing up, um, and and what I thought was normal as far as um, people passionate uh, about Christ. Here's why I say that. Uh, because I was born in '67, when the Jesus Revolution hit in the mid '70s and lasted about the early '80s, uh, that's when Maranatha music took off, which revolutionized Christian Christian rock and roll. Um, uh, that's when the the Jesus movement hit, and I have vivid memories of my parents. Was probably in. It's probably I was probably only four or five years old, but vivid memories of my parents holding Bible studies with Christian kids or not uh, college kids in our little tiny living room. Our furniture consisted of the big electrical spools, uh, oh, yeah. you know, the wood things oh, yeah. that, they, that hippies used all the time. Yeah. Bean bags. Uh, we all wore big. Um, Necklaces with a fish on them, because that was what you did, or a dove with Maranatha music or Calvary Chapel. Um, and I, and I, I don't know the reality of the experience. I just know my what I remember. Uh, and these college kids I looked up to, just uh, praising God and and weeping and singing and cannot get enough of God's word. And I just thought that's that was just normal. Um, for young people to do that. And I remember growing up, going to camps. And so again, mid-late 70s, early 80s, uh, and having these moments that I look back, thinking these are the, they were the seeds or the remnants of revival that was going through the Jesus movement. But hundreds of kids going on altar calls, breaking down, uh, camp chapels staying open till all hours of the wee mornings as we prayed and sang and falling out into the meadow and everybody gathered around and just confessing and weeping and singing and rejoicing and 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 it was like that for 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 years it was it was just it was amazing um and then and so last night I was remembering all this stuff and the wonder uh, that I had as a young man about the Bible. I had one friend in particular. Well, we, would, we were in high school, early high school, and we get on the phone with each other and read to each other the portions of New Testament that we had read that stuck out to us that we had underlined. Um, and it was, just, it was just what we did and, and the beginnings of of Christian rock and roll that was and, and so I started listening to that last night and I was overwhelmed again with how much it spoke about standing firm Jesus is coming back the, the devil is real don't give in from Daryl Mansfield to to the Sweet Reaper <coughs> Band to I mean some of the old school guys um, and and, uh, and and as I that was a certain portion of of my Christian faith experience, and and but then as I look back over the past couple of decades, that that has not been the church experience. That's not been people's common experience anymore. Um, and I'm I'm thankful for for being a part of of that movement for a time. And seeing the results of it with hundreds of, of kids just weeping in confession of sin and repentance and faith. And, and it launched a lot of us into, into ministry. But I'm realizing, I thought that's just how things went. And I'm realizing that's not just how things go. Um, but one of the things that, that was... Um, that was a pinnacle of that season was the study of God's word and the priority of God's word. There was a group of us that got up early in the morning and we all got down to church and 
we had a Bible study before school. Um, where we had a Bible study at lunchtime in one of the teachers' classrooms that the teacher led, wow. which was all illegal. <laughs> um, <coughs> kids carrying their Bibles to school all the time and read them at lunchtime and having prayer meetings. It was just, and it's just not the. That's not how things go. And and maybe we have some. I don't know how many kids are calling their friends about the Bible verses they read that day. You know what I'm saying? And having prayer requests with each other and praying. And it's just, it, it, that's just that's, that was just my experience. And I loved it. And, and, and I remember being awestruck by God's word. And this has been fun to go through the book of Joshua and start to get awestruck about it again. Um. And, and I'm praying that it catches on with me more, and I'm praying that it catches on with us more and our church more, to, to sit back in wonder and amazement at God and, and His Word and not act like I know it, not act like I've heard it before, not act like it's old news, not act like, oh, Jesus came, lived, died on the cross, rose again, Easter time. You know, football season's around the corner. It, it just like like that. Just to be in awe again. Um, so that that's just part of what I'm going through. I hope you're going through that, uh, and and I hope it it bears uh, kingdom fruit uh, and God and word priority in our lives. But 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 I get excited about it when we go stuck through through uh, chapters 18, 19, and 20. Because they're not your typical Jesus walked on water and fed people food and, uh, you know, died on the cross and rose. You you look at this stuff and you go, what is the point? But there's a point. (laughs) Uh, And as I I look through what we studied last week uh, and and, and knowing what's coming in 18, 19, 20, the thing that I keep coming back to is that God has a preordained plan for everything. Everything. Um, and, and, and he's got his hand on and in everything. Um, he's as alive today as he was then. He is coming back again. And until he does... It's so reassuring for me to look back at history because in history, I can see his sovereignty. In the future, I can't. So the future is by faith. History, I see his sovereignty. And the reason I can have faith in the future is because I know his history and I can see his sovereignty. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the more I do that, the more I look back and see and affirm his sovereignty, the more I'm able to look to the future with hope and faith. Uh, And so that's why it's so good to open up his word and to glean from this, uh, his hand at work over and over and time and time and time again. And I just want to tell you that we can trust him. I just want to tell you that we can trust him. And things that seem innocuous to us, things that seem like random, things that seem like what is the point, we can trust him. If you don't, I do know enough of his history to say he is sovereign, even over the mundane things, even over the, the things that don't make sense. Um, And because of that, we can trust him together in faith and in hope for the future. And and that's what we'll see a little bit of in chapters 18, 19, 20. So let's let's get into this. Uh, Again, I'm not going to go through all these verses in these chapters because it's just a lot of uh, words that we don't need to know how to pronounce. Can I tell you, on your app, Mm -hmm. uh, on the app you made reference to all the cities and Mm -hmm. you because of your football vernacular all the time Uh the the huddle you you used OT and I'm thinking overtime overtime yeah Old Testament Testament, yeah (laughs) Old Testament yeah yeah that's funny all right Uh, verse 1 and 2 
The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So we looked in the last couple of chapters about the allotment for all these tribes, but there's still seven that haven't received them yet. Um, the implication here is not that uh, it just took too long and we were getting around to it. The implication of that is they were comfortable and complacent, that they hadn't pressed to receive their inheritance. There was no urgency. And one of the reasons there was no urgency in them is because they were not eager for, eager for, for battle. Because they know once you move into your territory, there's still some battles that have to be thought, uh, fought. And they were fearful of struggle. They were comfortable. They were complacent. And they just didn't want to do the hard work. Uh, and I think that's a warning for us. Press into it. The, 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 to, to, to inherit all that God has for us. The, de- <laughs> the devil knows it can't beat God. But he's pretty confident he can make us comfortable. Uh, and, and both of them accomplish the same thing. Now because he can't beat God. And we're protected from destruction. He can make us comfortable. And complacent. Um, and it gets real easy to have excuses why we don't. Why we don't do those things we know we should, quote unquote, do. Study diligently. Pray fervently. Hope expectantly. Give generously. Attend faithfully. Witness daily. Right? It just gets comfortable and complacent. Because we know once we do that, the moment I start giving generously, there's going to come financial stuff. That's going to make me choose. Are you going to stay committed to God and his word and doing this or not? The moment I start witnessing daily, there's going to come issues with people that aren't going to like it. It's going to make me, am I going to shrink back or am I going to continue? The, mo- the moment I decide I'm going to be faithful in attendance, stuff's going to come. I'm going to get opportunities to be somewhere else or obligations. It just always happens that way. And, and, and so there's time when it, it's time to press on and continue. Verse 3. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? They were comfortable not. They were waiting. They're dragging their feet. They're not asking for more. They're not asking that God do anything else with them. You got me into the promised land. I'm saved. I'm good. Now, if we look at the promised land as salvation and the spirit-filled life, at least they were in it. But that was good enough. In the old school days, we talked about getting your fire insurance. So you're saved from hell, and that's about it. Um, And and as I read that, I was reminded, man, Carl, don't grow weary in accomplishing God's commands and all that he has called you to. The other thing I see in this is Joshua, he was getting old, and he wanted to finish well. He's like, get this done, because I'm not done until you're done, and I'm ready to be done. (laughs) But but to Joshua's credit, it wasn't enough to peter out at the end. He wanted to go into heaven, sliding into heaven with his hair on fire. He was like, look, finish this out, man. Don't grow weary in this. And so he pushes them. So let's jump down to these tribes that are still to receive their inheritance. The first one we come to uh, is Benjamin, Right? Allotment for Benjamin. Now, verse 11. The lot came up for the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan. Their allotted territory lay between the tribes of Judah and Joseph. First thing to note, when it talks about the tribe of Joseph, it's usually talking about the tribe of Ephraim. Okay? The the two sons that were adopted in, they were what? Brothers. They were brothers. What were their names? Manasseh. Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim was the, was the youngest. And so usually when it says Joseph, it's talking about the tribe of Ephraim. Um, 
Benjamin, and it says the, 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 the lot came up. We've talked about the lots in the past, the roll and the dice. Even that was at God's discretion. The Bible says man rolls the dice, but God determines its roll. And so this was the way they did that until the Holy Spirit arrived. We've talked about that in the past. Holy Spirit wasn't released upon the church or God's people yet as a, 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 like he is at Pentecost. And so now God would work through the, this issue of casting lots. So it came out for the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin um, is the, the smallest tribe. It was the final of the 12 sons. He was the final of the 12 sons. Um, and they get the smallest territory. So remember, all of this is at God's discretion. The tribe of Benjamin gets the smallest territory. When you are amongst a group of people and you're all comparing your wallets and your bank accounts and your, and your, and your estates, and you've got the smallest one out of everybody, how does that often make us feel? Small. <laughs> exactly. Why? God, why didn't you give me a little more? Why didn't you trust me with a little more? Why didn't you bestow upon me? Right? All of this is at God's discretion. The thing we have to realize about Benjamin, the smallest tribe, they have the smallest territory. But within their territory, realize, is the place called Shiloh which the, the, the altar and ark was for a time, Hebron, the place of fellowship, Jericho, Jerusalem. The most significant places were in the smallest places. The places of fellowship, the places of presence, the places of holiness, the places of God showing up was not in the grandiose, was not in the large. <clears throat> It was in the small. Uh, and, and so w- when I look at that and when I realize what their territory uh, encompassed, what I realize is that sometimes my tendency is to get my eyes on the territory and not the blessing in the territory. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I keep my eyes on the blessing in the territory, not the territory itself. <clears throat> Um, let's go to chapter 19. Chapter 19, verse 1. The second lot came out for the tribe of Simeon, clan by clan. Their inheritance laid within the territory of Judah. You won't hear much else about the tribe of Simeon going forward. Their tribe was in the territory of of Judah, because remember the Bible says that Judah nine or uh, uh, Joshua nineteen nine says Judah's territory was more than what they needed, and so God put Simeon's territory within the borders of Judah's territory, and they're kind of engulfed by Judah, and they virtually disappear. They're still there, but you really don't hear about them, and they're they're kind of just swallowed up in the tribe of Judah. Do you know why? Uh, go to Genesis 49, verses 5, 6, and 7. Genesis. 49, verses 5, 6, and 7. Let me read it to you. This is Jacob blessing his sons. Okay, This is before there all these tribes. Jacob, the father of the twelve, is blessing the twelve. And he comes to... His sons, Simeon and Levi, in verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. Um, and this is basically saying, like, this is God's word to them. For they have killed men in their anger and, ha- and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce... And their fury so cruel, I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So God says, because their anger and their violence, I will scatter them in the land and I'll disperse them in the land. 
So that's why they're swallowed, that Simeon is swallowed up in Judah and virtually disappears because God said that he was going to disperse them and scatter them. So they don't have their own, I mean, they have it, but it kind of gets lost and they're just kind of lost within the milieu of the people of Israel because God said, I'm going to scatter you. Do you know why he said that? Do you know why this prophecy is of them in Genesis thirty or Genesis forty nine? Because of what happened in Genesis thirty four, so go back to thirty four. Genesis thirty four. Genesis thirty four. You Old Testament students, you know this story. Genesis thirty four is the story of Dinah and the Shechemites. <clears throat> Verse 1, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had born, uh, the, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor, the, uh, the Hivite, the ruler of that era, saw her, he took her and violated, he raped her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, Get me this girl as my wife. Watch this. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock. So what did he do? He kept quiet about it until they came home. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. Verse 7. Jacob's sons had come in from the fields, and as soon as they had heard what had happened, they were filled with grief and fury because... Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. Let me jump down. Verse 13. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamar. And they said, look, we know you want to marry our sister. We can't give her to you because you're not circumcised. So get circumcised and we'll let you have our sister. Okay, that's what they told him. And so, of course, Shechem... Says, well, sure. Well, he and his dad met with the people, the men of the uh, of the city, and they said, yeah, let's let's get circumcised because then we'll intermarry with them. They can marry our daughters. We'll marry their daughters. We'll show livestock. This is going to be a win win for everybody. So they get circumcised. Verse twenty five. Three days later, while all the men were still in pain, hmm, <laughs> two of Jacob's sons, who were they? Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi. Dinah's brothers took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamar and his son, his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sister had been defiled. So, because they slaughtered everybody and brutalized everybody out of their anger, God said, you two, Simon and Levi will be scattered throughout Israel. Now, Levi was what tribe? The priesthood tribe. Did they have a land in Israel? No, No, they're scattered about. But he had a strange background. He had a strange background. Simeon, because Simeon did this, God says, you will not have your own place. You're going to be scattered about and engulfed, basically. The reason all of that happened, I go back to verse 5 in chapter 34 of Genesis. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled. So his dad finds out his daughter has been raped. And what does he do? Nothing. Nothing. A father's negligence led to his son's ruin. Uh, And to me, that is a huge lesson. That like he was the leader of all 12 sons, the leader of his family. He dropped the ball. He neglected what he was supposed to do as the leader. He abdicated it. They weren't ready to lead in that way. 
So in abdication of their father's leadership, they step out in sin and it costs their heritage, their inheritance. So, kind of a tough lesson. I I ought not preach this one on Father's Day, right? (laughs) But a good lesson, right? Right? (laughs) Because he was a coward. He wasn't willing to do anything on his own and go to the father of the son. He wanted his sons to come home, hear about it, and he wanted them to do something so he didn't have to. So when they came home, basically what Mm -hmm. he did was just tell us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you can blame them. Yeah. Simeon. Zebulun, verse 10, back in Joshua 19. The third lot came for Zebulun, clan by clan. And it lists the, the boundaries. And again, when these lots are coming up, these people who are in that moment, you can imagine, it's like the lottery. What are we going to get? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are we going to get? I wonder how this is going to go down. But remember, there's a plan for this whole thing, right? This doesn't happen by chance, although it looks like chance when they're in it. So Zebulun, when you look at what their border is, the uh, boundary of their inheritance went as far as uh, Sarah going around to Mar- all these places. Let me, let me just boil it down for you. They lay between, their, 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 their territory is between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. Really fertile crescent right along there. And it's between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And so they're looking at this going, whoa, look at this. We got water on both sides. <coughs> it was for a purpose. The purpose, go back to Genesis 49. Genesis 49 is when Jacob's blessing his sons. Look at what he says years before. Genesis 49, 13. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. So God had already determined it back when Zebulun was a young man and daddy was still alive, that he would get that area and he will be a haven for ships. And he was absolutely blessed. They were absolutely blessed by being in that spot, being a haven for ships because God had ordained it. The one of the things I love is that when God ordains it, you're not going to talk God out of it. Even if you really screw stuff up. If he's determined to give it to you, you're going to. Alama for Ishakar, verse 17. Uh, the fourth lot came out, of, uh, out for Ishakar, clan by clan. Their territory included all these places. Here's the significance about this place of Ishakar. It's called the Valley of Jezreel. In anybody, does that ring a bell for anybody? The Valley of Jezreel? You've been in Israel, haven't you? Um, so have we. We've been to the Valley of Jezreel. It's the place where Armageddon's going to be fought. Yeah. It's the only place that is wide enough, flat enough, big enough for hundreds of millions of foot soldiers to ascend upon that one territory in battle. And we studied all about that in the book of Revelation. So you want more to say about that? Go back and read that. But... Isha, the land of Ishakar plays a huge role in, in, in the culmination of all things. Go to Asher, verse 24. The fifth lot came out uh, the, for the tribe of Asher, clan by clan. We don't know much about the tribe of Asher at all. We get one little glimpse about Asher's posterity in the New Testament. You all know what the glimpse is, but you probably are not bringing it up in your minds right now. Does it ring a bell for anybody? Luke 2.36. Right after Jesus was born, there's a little old lady. It was Anna. Yes, who was in the temple. Her name is Anna from the tribe of Asher. There was a remnant in that tribe, tribe that stayed faithful, consistent, persistent, Promise of the Messiah passed down from generation to generation, probably from grandma to granddaughter to great granddaughter to great 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 all 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 the way down to Anna, who lives probably eighty four years as a widow, 
who's got this element of faith that will not quit. That there's no stop in this woman. Probably because the Bible says women teach women, old women teach younger women. That had been Anna's life since the tribe of Asher. That there was a faithful woman who taught a younger woman. And there was always that role of faithful older woman teaching a mentoring a, a, a younger woman. And so if you're older in the faith, women, start mentoring younger women. My prayer every morning for my son, Caleb and Wyatt, now because Joe's good, is that God will protect and prepare Caleb's future wife and Wyatt's future wife. That those women will learn what it is to be a godly woman, wife, and mother. And that there'll be women in their lives who will teach them that. Um, And if you have a son, I hope that, that... that you are praying that for his wife and that there's a woman in her life that is doing that for her. Isn't that what you want? For your grandchildren. Um, So anyway, I, I, I see in this the value and the need for godly women to mentor and to teach and to be involved in younger women's lives. And what it is to be a godly woman a godly wife, a godly mother, whatever your experience is, to do that in a godly way. Um, and we see it, I think, as it culminates in Anna's life in Luke 2, 36. Uh, verse 32, the allotment for Naphtali. The sixth lot came out for Naphtali. Now, Naphtali was some of the northernmost tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun, the northernmost tribes. Um, because Naphtali and Zebulun were the northernmost tribes, the enemies that came down against God's people, Assyrians first, Babylon second, eventually the Romans, they, they all came in from the north. And so Naphtali and Zebulun were continually beat up. They were continually getting the pulverized. They were the first ones to get the tip of the spear of the enemy. And they're just absolutely worn out, demoralized, brutalized. Um, But though they faced the greatest battles, in one sense, they got the greatest blessing. Because that's always the way God works for his people who engage in the battles. Uh, Isaiah 9-2. Let me read it for you. The people of walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So those living, now this is going to tie into Naphtali and Zebulun. In Isaiah 9-2, those living in darkness have seen a great light. Those walking in darkness, those living in the land of the shadow of death, that's where they lived. It was, it was perilous, it was brutal, it was horrible. But... Look at what they get out of it. Matthew 4, verses 13 through 16. Look what the Bible says. Now you'd think they're up north there. They're getting brutalized by all these enemies coming in. You'd think they would say, God, why did you give us this land? Like this is horrible. Why? Why is it my family that always suffers dot, 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 Right? Matthew 4, 13 through 16. Jesus is traveling around preaching. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali. The way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, because they were all the Gentiles lived up there because that was the northernmost part. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. The light is dawn. They got it. They got the presence of Christ that the others didn't get. <clears throat> so rather than sitting back saying, God, why is it so hard? To realize it may be hard because that's where the spirit of Christ is going to show up. 
Right? It's all orchestrated. It's all designed. We don't see God's hand. What we see is what we experience. And when we experience hard, we think his hand isn't there. And he says, oh, no, no, no. My hand is there because it's, if I made my, if it, if it weren't hard, my hand wouldn't be there. <clears throat> and if we focus on the battle, we miss the presence. Right? Verse 40, land, allotment of Dan, for Dan. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of Dan. Go down to verse 47. But the Danites had difficulty taking possession of their territory, so they went up and attacked Leshem, took it, uh, put it to the sword, and occupied it. They settled in Leshem and named it Dan after their forefather. So they, they, they have their land that's given to them, but they couldn't take it. was too hard. The battle was too hard for them. And they're like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Like we, we thought God was blessing us. It's just taking a lot more than what we expected. And we didn't think it was going to be this hard. And it seems like God really isn't being very nice to us. Uh, and so let's, let's just, let's get out of here. Let's, let's, and so they move. And they move to this place, Leshem. And they put it to the sword and occupy it. And they settle there and they rename that area Dan. Well, that area wasn't Dan's. The reason why they moved is because it was faithfulness was too hard. And so they thought, we're going to go somewhere where it's not so hard for me. Here's the problem. Because they did that, you read throughout the story of Dan of severe idolatry because they would not stay in the place God put them and be faithful to where God put them. They went to something that was easier and they fell into idolatry and they were absolutely accursed because they refused to be faithful in difficulty and they gave into, it led them to idolatry. So when God says, look, I have your place. You have no idea the blessing I'm about to give you. Don't walk out on it. Trust me. And then the last one to get the allotment is what? This is the man. All the tribes have their allotment now. Verse 49. When they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions... The Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them, as the Lord had commanded. Joshua goes last. Joshua is a picture of whom? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And the Bible says, the last will be first in the kingdom. And so he goes last. He's the leader. He says, I'm going to make sure my people are taken care of. I go last. And that's what leaders do. Leaders always eat last. That's just how it should be. And that's what it was the humility of Joshua reflecting the heart of Christ that put others before himself. For the joy set before him, our liberation, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Laying down his glory, took on the form of a servant, of a slave, humbled himself, went last. They gave him the town uh, he asked for, Timnath Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim. Who else got the hill country? Caleb. Caleb. Because both those boys were like, man, we still got some fight left in us. And we're not coasting into retirement. Uh, t- uh, Timnath Sarah means the abundant portion. So he got the abundant portion because he was humble enough to put others ahead of himself. Um, and he built up a town and settled there. And, and so that is a great model for us of leadership. And it's a great representation of Christ. He did not come to be served, but to serve. Um. And to lay down himself. And that's what leaders have to do. Leaders eat last. 
So that's, that, that's chapters 18 and 19. And I went through that pretty quickly because I want to get to chapter 20. Chapter 20 is about these cities of refuge. How many cities of refuge did God command to be set up? Got one say 20, one say six. Do I hear 26? Six. Yeah, six of them. Um, and these are set up. So you got the you got the Sea of Galilee and then the Jordan River that runs down into the what? Dead sea. The Dead Sea. So the Sea of Galilee looks like a harp. Sometimes it's called Gennesaret, sometimes it's called Kinnereth. That's the Hebrew word for heart or harp. And so because it kind of looks like that, the Jordan River flows down into the Dead Sea that looks like a peanut. Um and so these six cities of refuge, there's three on the east and three on the west of the Jordan River, spaced out accordingly, so, so you can get to them if you need to get to them, wherever you are. So here they are. Then the Lord said to Joshua, tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may free their and fire protection from the avenger of blood. So they didn't have policemen and sheriffs back then. And so if someone was killed um, intentionally or unintentionally, there was one person in the family of the dead man or woman, the dead person, who would be called the avenger of blood, who had the legal right to go and hunt them down and make sure that justice was followed because there was no law. There was no like like lawmen. And so there's one family in the family of one who had died who had been killed, to be the avenger of blood. So this rule of, of these, these cities of refuge makes six of them. So if there's anybody who accidentally kills someone, so we're talking not first-degree murder, right, second-degree murder, they can go to one of these cities of refuge and be protected for a time because the avenger of blood's coming after them for justice. Okay? Now, Verse 4, when he flees to one of these cities, he is to stand at the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. Then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. If the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice of, of um, without malice aforethought. He is to stay in that city. The one who has killed the person is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his hometown from which he fled. So if you kill someone on accident, you go to the city of refuge. The avenger of blood comes. The elders of the city don't let him touch you. You have to stay in that city. Until the high priest dies, then you're, then you're free. Then you can go back home and, and, and live your life of freedom. Avenger blood can't touch you. If you leave before the high priest dies, he's got a right to kill you. Okay? So, so they set apart Kadesh and Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. On the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert on the plateau of the train of uh, uh, tribe of Reuben, uh, Rimoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. <coughs> any of the Israelites and any alien living among them, anybody who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of a plier standing trial before the assembly. Okay, now listen. First, I want to talk about the names of these cities. Okay? Kadesh. The, 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 I suggest to you that these six cities are pictures and characteristics of Christ. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but let me just tell you, give it, tell you what they mean. Kadesh means holy or the holy one. Okay? Shechem means shoulder, like strength. Isaiah will say the government will be upon his shoulder. Okay? It's that strength. Hebron means fellowship. Okay? Bezer means <coughs> fortress or for fortification. Ramoth means high and exalted, or the high and exalted one. And Golan means joy or exaltation. So, so let me just, 
I'm going to tell you why I believe that these are references to Christ in just a minute. But holy, um, the, the strength and the government of the new kingdom, fellowship, the fortress we run to in times of trouble, the high exalted one, joy and exaltation. This is why I think they're, they're referencing Christ. One, because those are all references of, uh, of who Christ is. But watch this. If someone kills somebody responsible for their death in first-degree murder, there's no, it doesn't, doesn't matter if you go to the city of refuge. The penalty for that is death, right? That's Old Testament. This is God's word to Moses. Um, if a man kills a man, if a man sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Capital punishment is all in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if it's first-degree murder, you cost you your life. If it's second-degree murder, you go to a city of refuge, and you're there till the high priest dies. Then you're free. Okay? So let me ask you this. Because of our sin, Jesus died. So in essence, we're responsible for his death. Is that first-degree murder or second-degree? Second. I say first because it was planned. First, we did that's the big difference. It, was, it wasn't an accident. They planned it. They put it in place and had it. They committed it. But Craig, what about us? It's because of our sin, Jesus was killed. So is our sin, we're responsible for his death. Right? right? So is, is, is our responsibility for his death considered first degree or second degree? Isn't all sin know. unintentional? <laughs> I, I don't know. I'd make Listen, what's the penalty for our sin? Yeah. Is it first degree? Yeah. We're responsible. First degree murder. There's no hope. There's no city of refuge for first degree murder. This is only for second degree murder. However... Turn in your Bibles to Luke 23, 34. I think God was speaking to us this whole time. And we just miss it. Luke 23, 34. What's it say? Read it out loud. Jesus is on the cross. Father, forgive them. What's it say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It wasn't on purpose. First degree or second degree? Second. But we just said it was first. <laughs> Maybe not our sin, but the, the... Let me tell you, our sin, our sin is first degree murder. It cost someone his life. There's a death penalty. We can't get away from the fact that it's first-degree murder. Thankfully, it was leveled against him, not us. Do you understand? Because everybody who is not in Christ pays the price for first-degree murder. Right? It's first-degree murder. However, it's also second-degree murder. Because Jesus said, Father, they don't get it. Forgive them. And because it's second-degree murder, we run to the city of refuge. The city of refuge is a picture of whom? Jesus. 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 And we have to stay there until when? Go to Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. We're guilty of first-degree murder. It was leveled against Christ. So now we're guilty of second-degree murder. We run to the city of refuge, which is Christ, and we have to stay there. If we leave Christ, we're dead. We have to stay there until the high priest. Someone read Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize 
with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have to stay there till the high priest dies. Who is our high priest? Jesus. Jesus is. And because he has died and he absorbed our penalty of first degree murder, he died, canceled all debt of second degree murder. Now we're free. And because we're free, Verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The cities of refuge are there to point us towards Christ and say you're guilty. Don't let that escape you. You are guilty, but I've made provision for your freedom. There is no avenger of blood that will ever touch you because you've ran to me. The high priest has died and now you are free, not just free to live, but free to approach the throne of grace and free to lavishly be given mercy and grace. Isn't it beautiful? It's beautiful. And God was setting all this stuff up way back in the, 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 the book of Joshua that we read and go, why is this even in there? And God's saying it's in there because you see the beauty of it, but the beauty of it is a reflection of my beauty. This is how beautiful and, and, and intricate and involved I am. Like, trust me. Right? The, I, the Bible's good stuff, man. If you're Perry Mason. <laughs> Bible's good stuff. And there are times when I read this, I get really excited. And there's times when I read this, I get, I, I get like, wow, I just, there's so much. How do you ever understand all of this? And there's times I read this and it just makes me a little bit teary because I'm like, God, you are so good. And I'm sorry that I just take you for granted. And I'm sorry that I just doubt you. And I'm sorry that I just get so blasé towards you. And I'm sorry that I let the stuff of this world override everything that I see and hear. And I'm just sorry. And I thank you that I can put your throne of grace with confidence and receive mercy. You know? And as I, as, I, as I get older and my kids grow up and I get grandkids, I just so desperately want them to understand this. <laughs> you know. Anyway. Comments, cries, shouts of outrage? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. 